And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror! <laughs> Hello, horror fangs! It's the first werewolf movie on the old vault, so it's time to throw out every old howler, the bane of all bad jokes! Your hosts will hit all the silver bullet points with insights so thrilling You'll grow hair on your palms, and your forearms, and your face. So, wolf down some popcorn, and hope you find the love of a good woman. It's Hammer's Curse of the Werewolf. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. I am your co-host this evening, Mr. Luke. Jackanetti, and we've got a great episode for you tonight, and I do mean we in the literal sense, as I'm joined by my usual gang of freakish co-hosts. Uh, left to right on your radio dial, up first, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. I've started getting hair in really weird places. Started? Well, in the weird places. <laughs> and continue, continuing down, in the weird places, continuing down the dial, uh, my brother, Jay Jackanetti. So the bottle's over here, the label's over here. Put the labels on the bottle. It's all that simple. And finishing up uh, my co-host this evening, uh, Freak OG himself, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Hey there, boys and girls. (laughs) (laughs) I know this is not Sunday, but the bells are ringing. You know, I love Wolfman Jack, if nothing else, because he did the voice over on one of the trailers for Phantom of the Paradise. I'm just so yes. happy that I'm just so happy that you recognize that I was trying to do Wolfman Jack. <laughs> you know, you know, if I if I hadn't brought this in, the one I was going to go with was I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada down at Trader Vic's, and his hair was perfect. Perfect. I was actually my backup one was was little old lady got mutilated late last night, and that's like one of my favorite song lyrics of all time. <laughs> that, that Warren Zevon sat down and and wrote down on a piece of paper, little old lady got mutilated. <laughs> Mutilated. How how often in a pop song do you hear no. little old lady and mutilated Not put often together, enough. much less on their well, own? Yeah, well, Except when I, when little I, old lady from Pasadena, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but when when this podcast is done, I'm going to get myself a big dish of beef chow mein. So you can probably guess. That's when they that. did the mashup of Dead Man's Curve and <laughs> Little Old Lady from <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Wow. So we're, it's, yeah, we're, we're not even three minutes in. We're off the rails here. And the movie that we're talking about this time out, we're continuing, continuing coverage of our uh, series, uh, the Hammer Horror Series. So uh, as you can guess from that, we're obviously talking about uh, the Phantom of the Opera. No, we're in fact talking about Curse of the Werewolf, which uh, came out in 1961, and it was 
um, you know, again, uh, typical uh, the the first um, werewolf film out of the Hammer Studio after we had already gotten uh, Dracula and Frankenstein and the Mummy, so it only makes sense that Terrence Fisher would direct a werewolf movie and uh stars uh oliver reed a very young oliver reed in very this young. and uh very well-known film just for the the uh i think just when i was growing up anyway this was one we didn't see a lot but i always knew this yeah. one because i remember seeing the werewolf makeup in this one is very iconic so what did yeah. you guys think about curse the werewolf so I real quick it. to start that there yeah uh well this is actually the only hammer where actual werewolf movie they made so mm-hmm. it's the one and only, and that's what the crazy part was, as Luke was saying, it's in order. Terrence Fisher as director. Uh, writers were Anthony Hind. Um, it's actually based on Guy Endow's uh, novel, The Werewolf of Paris. Uh, so, again, um, Hammer using Terrence Fisher getting there, Anthony Hines coming in to, to write, using off of classic literature. So I just wanted to throw that in. I, I didn't know if Luke was going to mention that or not. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. So Sorry, Chris, you were saying. I really like that. I I like ham. I'm really digging Hammer's take on stuff, and this one is really you know this one really plays with the lore. So there's not that whole like you have to get bitten by a werewolf. This one's more like about how evil passes itself on, and it's it's almost like evil beyond people's control. It's all these people that want to be good, but they just get infected with with evil in it manifests in a werewolf but either way it it was it was an interesting take on it and uh it's like of the i like i've i've seen the a couple of the universal werewolf movies and (laughs) like we've mentioned i think in a past show i've seen wolf with (laughs) jack nicholson (laughs) as a modern one but like for modern werewolf movies, like the only two I'm really I ever really got into was uh, American Werewolf in London and The Howling, which I both liked. I really liked American Werewolf in London and The Howling was was fun, but not quite as. But for like classical werewolfness, I like this one a lot better. This one has a lot more to chew on, just like Jekyll and Hyde did, yeah, and it's, it's a, also yeah. like not very gory and it's it's violent super slow burn too it's like it's a slow it's a slow burn but it's really well acted yeah i I mean i never got bored during it as a matter of fact you know i always i always sort of sit down to like especially to jekyll and hyde into werewolf stuff which i've never been as big into and mummy and the mummy also and ended up being engaged in these movies like beginning to end you know and uh they remind me of the old days of horror short stories like in horror anthology magazines or or like when you're in middle school the library would be full of like the alfred hitchcock presents horror stories and stuff like that and um and maybe even the stuff that was for little little older audience and and stuff like that there was uh often you know more there was a more of a psychological component to it which it gives you more to think about really you know if if it's not going to be constant action at least it 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 takes you in a direction that you're not anticipating the emphasis is on character in these yeah more than really anything else so it's i mean this one is like a classical tragedy too it's yeah 
you know, not there's a, a level of romanticism and action and adventure to to their version of uh, Dracula and Frankenstein, but this one is just straight up. I mean, ugh, you can't win for trying it's, in this one. It's, it's just sort of like a life news. story where you get a little bit of his early life, and then they just fast forward to like, all right, here's where it all goes to shit. <laughs> yeah. And so you well, get that last, you get the final, you know. I'm going to strike out on my own, and then it just goes downhill from there. Yeah. Well, originally, the, uh, the um, they had, again, since it's, it's based on uh, um, the Werewolf of Paris, the actual novel. So they were going to try to, instead of just making, like, the Wolfman, remaking uh, the actual Wolfman, which was the, you know, the, uh, Lon Chaney Jr., uh, you know, universal mo- movie that made tons and tons of money and made him very famous, they tried to make it a little different. So originally, um, the beggar, in the beginning, wasn't just a beggar, but he was actually a werewolf. And Hammer was worried that the censors were actually going to have a problem with the werewolf also being a rapist. Somehow, a werewolf raping the woman, too much. A beggar who's gone crazy in the thing, raping her, that's okay. Well, but the thing is, I think that's one of the main things, too, is um, when you look at the way this movie is presented, he starts off, it's, you know, Oliver Reed doesn't show up till like, halfway through the movie. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Like, you have to get through everything else. He's not, it's not like Oliver Reed's story. I mean, we see Lawrence Talbot, you know, which is uh, um, played by uh, Lon Chaney Jr. We see him within the first few minutes of The Wolfman. He's you on don't screen understand. The, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's on screen a lot of the movie, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. But what you have here is you have Leon, who's not even born yet. I mean, there is no Leon. We're, we're 15, 20 minutes into the movie. There's still not even Leon yet. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that the beggar is 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 uh, made fun of and, and degraded and, you know, locked up because of just all the, the just disgusting people who are with mainly even the old. The, he turns into the old man. He's what the not the count, whatever the hell he is. Um, and you know, by having it be a man who's actually been locked up and treated as less than human until they make to the point where he finds that animal side in him. And then he winds up raping, of course, the mute girl after she, you know, lashes out against, she's not, she refuses to let the old guy, whatever. And it's just like, that's like, it's such a different take. There's no, there's no biting. There's no like, uh, you know, howling at the moon. In fact, in the first time there's a werewolf stuff happening, is I said halfway through the movie, when Leon is trying yeah. to as, as a boy. Well, I'm saying, but again, but the, the, although beggar, the beggar though, after a few years in the clink, his arms sort of turn into like, he sort of gets those Robin William arm beards. Yeah, he looks just sort right, of. So yeah. I think maybe Game he was girl. just a partial werewolf, where his arm, just, arm hair, just. Grew. Is, I don't. I don't think he's a werewolf per se. He's just a guy who's been uh, neglected and, and left alone. He's becoming more of an animal. animal. True. Well, that's yeah. the thing is, I think they're 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 like sort of like, it's really 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 dark. You know, I mean, the 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 peasant girl, the the mute peasant girl, is also the only person who's been kind to the beggar. Right. In, yeah. in the whole thing. And it's just it's just basically sort of saying like this guy's he's kind of innocent. We don't, don't know the beggar's backstory, but he seems to be just sort of a, you know, simple minded, good natured fool. And, you know, somehow the the evil of of the people who imprisoned him gets infected into him, then into her and then into the baby 
and it's just like and so she and the beggar and the baby are all the are all innocent people. They're, they're, they're all yeah, as they're, far they're, as the story goes. Colla- well, they're collateral damage for the, the yeah. cruelty of the people of the ruling class, so the people in power that started this whole thing. You know, that, that put the beggar in into the dungeon and forgot about him. That tried to take advantage of of the the, the servant girl and all that. And I do want to say the servant girl played by Yvonne Romain, who mm-hmm. was um, she was actually British, but she studied. Um, she studied acting in Italy and because of her, her dark looks, she's got some, you know, really dark features and her dark hair and her, uh, you know, her figure, which according to Wikipedia is 38, 22, 36. (laughs) So she usually got cast as either Italian or Spanish maidens. And that's what she plays here as a Spanish maiden and man continuing the trend of some stone cold foxes here in Hammer Studios. Oh yeah. So Hammer I'm not Studios. not going to complain. And and when she when she breaks out at the end, or at, at the um you know after uh, she gets attacked by the beggar and she's running out there's like my note just gazongas on full display while running here. Yes. And yeah. uh, running through the extremely English countryside for Spain, but okay. You know, we well, again there's that, actually... that's the other trend here. Yeah, well the, the other thing too with that is um the the Spanish setting was because it was shot on the back lot, and they already had the back lot staged for a film about the Spanish Inquisition, Inquisition. which never got made. The Spanish wait, Inquisition. Wait. <laughs> but, but, but never got made because the Catholic League of Decency threatened to ban it, and they were like, oh, crap, we don't want to get banned by them. So they didn't make the Spanish Inquisition movie. But the Catholic League of Decency did not decide to ban the movie where the guy, where the beggar rapes the girl and makes a werewolf uh, happen, but Spanish Inquisition, no, we're not allowing that. So, well, but that's know, why we don't, it takes know, for, we don't know for sure if the if the rapist was Catholic. So, yes, well, that could be. Well, he wasn't a werewolf. <laughs> he could have been, been a werewolf. Was I mean, too much. He could have been a ca- he, Catholic. Look at the priest in this one, man. Maybe the Catholic Church had something to do with this priest. He's a stone cold <laughs> badass, man. Nothing oh, he, even he, fucking surprises him, or he's well, non. He, he's a definition of nonplussed. Well, he's like the priest in, uh, in Dead Alive, you know. Yeah, I, I kick, kick ass, ass for the Lord. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, funny. He's just sort of like, ah, oh, what are you gonna do? He's cursed with evil, and you know, keep your eye on him. Yeah, I got some priest things to do. I'll yeah. I'll, I'll come check hey. in. It's good. <laughs> you you just take care of him. I'm going home. <laughs> oh, like there's a football game yeah. on. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, this this very much. And and to be fair, you know, not not to discredit the the Universal films, those were very much, especially the Wolfman. And then, you know, uh, Jay and I, we talked about Frankenstein meets the Wolfman on Is It Jaws with uh, with Paul Spataro elsewhere on the Two True Freaks Network. And the the werewolf, the Wolfman movies were a chance for Lon Chaney Jr. to do some face acting and to really do some character stuff, which he didn't get a chance to do, obviously, in his chorus or in some of his other movies where he played a heavy or a detective or whatever. Um, but, uh, no, so it's, it's you know, the, the werewolf trope has always been the one that's the cursed one right you know i mean frank it's the frankenstein monster has is a pathetic figure you know dracula is a suave villain you know the the mummy is a shambling monster but the the werewolf is always the one that's pathetic 
and uh, and we we feel bad for the guy because he is cursed. You know, there's a um, a lot of people don't like this movie, but I'm a, I'm a fan of Stephen Sommers' um, film Van Helsing. I like it. And there's too. a line that, that well, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of fun as a monster match. There's a line that Van Helsing says in there when he returns back to the Vatican. He says, you know, uh, I, I am I'm the one there. I'm the one standing there when they turn back into the men that they once were. You know, right. so for a good werewolf movie, the guy has to become the wolf and then but also be the man. And that's what we get here. Leon is a figure that we feel so bad for because, like you were saying, Chris, none of this is his fault. It wasn't like he went out and got himself bit by a werewolf. All this stuff happened before he was even a thought. Although his origin is kind of similar to Freddy in a little bit, in a little way. Yeah, raped by a a madman, yeah. That's a good point. But Freddy wasn't born on Christmas. So um, I think that's that's the one thing, too, that's in here. And it's just a weird twist, Mm. I think, that he's um, – they said, well, he's born on Christmas. And it was the thing that was the – you know, they, like that's a celebrated thing. It's like, no, an unwanted baby talking on Christmas, she'll be cursed forever. It's all these like weird things that you put in there that are not the normal tropes you know, of, of, of a werewolf movie. And you're like, okay, like that makes sense. Like, yeah, he's not, a, they don't want this baby. And, you know, he's born on Christmas. Okay. It just seems, you know what I'm saying? It's all these different things they put in to kind of make this, you know, not, uh, you know, Lawrence Talbot, you know, showing up to the, his, uh, you know, his estate after being in America kind of thing. Or it's not even, what do you call it? It's not even uh, um, the werewolf, or the werewolf of London. London. Yeah. Right. Where, where it's, it's, it's he's, is he bit? What the heck happened? He's in the, he's in the, in Tibet, right? Or something like that. And he has the right. flower and it, it's like, this is such a different movie. And I think that's what makes it stand out. And I know a lot of, like Luke said, this was a movie when we were younger, it was not readily available for a very long time. I had to have a bootleg copy, um, you know, taken off a tape onto a DVD, uh, just to even have a DVD of this movie. And it's one of those things as you start looking at, well, you know, I mean, whatever the situation might've be that didn't get in a lot of, uh, didn't get released and stuff is, you know, this movie is not to say like werewolf movies are very, uh, you know, uh, upbeat, but compared to like to American werewolf in London or even the howling or stuff, this is dealing with some like dark stuff for 20 minutes of the movie. You're like, okay, if this doesn't turn around soon, I mean, it's just, you know, it's like, it's like we're watching Reckon for a dream here. You know, it's not really kind of the thing. And it turns around (laughs) just long enough to, to see, to have that tragedy come back in. It's, I mean, yeah, you, oh yeah. You yeah. can chop out the part where Leon <laughs> takes off from his adopted father's estate to the point where stuff starts to go south and it's like you're just watching a period piece. It's not you know, it's you could have called it like the Vintner of Spain or something. Like you wouldn't even know. Yeah. It, it's yeah. just it yeah, I mean it's it's very very different. I I had never seen this one before and I was pleasantly surprised watching it cuz I got like I got sucked in by the you know the first fifteen minutes where it's like there's no werewolves, main character's not there, and I'm just going what the hell is going on and you just, you have to just let it play out, and yeah. uh, you're well rewarded for it because it's it's freaking heartbreaking by the end of it. All I was gonna say is just real quick talking about his adoptive father who's Don Alfredo. Don Alfredo played by Clifford Evans, who is uh, actually a Welsh actor, probably best known in this country. He was one of the guys who played number two on The Prisoner. 
and and he was and he was on the Avengers, the Saint, you know, all these all those British TV shows from that era. I think he is great in this because he is like, you know, he he's a he's a good-hearted, good-natured guy who's like completely oblivious about things going on around him, but not in like a doting idiot sort of way. He's like he's he's just like yeah he, he's like we'll we'll raise him I don't he doesn't care about superstitions because he's learned right. you know so he's yes, not yeah. interested in it so he's always he's the guy that that is not doesn't want to hear about oh I don't want a child born on Christmas it's like no a child would be a blessing you know so I I, I thought he, in a relatively small role Clifford Evans was very good in this as well mm-hmm. and again it's it's um you know he reminded me a bit of Claude Rains playing mm-hmm. Talbot's dad exactly. because again. Talbot's dad was, again, not a, you know, he was a, um, now he has to take it a bit further, and we get that later on here, you know, so we, that, that spoilers, we get that later in the movie, but it's the same kind of idea that, that his dad in both, in both films was a good guy who looked out for him and cared for him, and wasn't like, you know, some grim, dark modernist thing where the dad abused him or ignored him or whatever, you know, so I, I, I thought, again, Clifford Evans had a good role in this film as well. Yeah, and and the thing too is you got to remember is um, you obviously um, uh, uh, Terrence Fisher uh, is able to get a lot out of his actor. So he, I mean, again, you know, I know he doesn't do his own casting, whoever they had doing the casting, whatever. But they give him quality. He gets the best out of everybody who's there. So well, and the, when, the so, kid who played young young, young Leon man, yeah. looks yeah, a yeah. lot like Oliver Reed too. They did a great yeah. job casting him. Yeah. What I'm saying is like so so we, yeah right so whoever's doing the casting they got the casting done and then you have Terrence Fisher who gets like he gets he understands what they're trying to accomplish here I think Terrence Fisher I, there would Hammer would never have been the success they were if it wasn't for Terrence Fisher he was able to give you a different version of Dracula a different version of Frankenstein a different version of like he was able to give you those things that were different but yet at the same time it wasn't like what am I looking at here? It was different, but it was enough where you still understood in the grand scheme of things what's happening. And what you also get here too is because he knew he had a, you know, a Spanish set and things like that. He definitely wanted to make sure that you understood that this was not, you know, England, even though we know it's the English countryside with whatever, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? He definitely wanted you to feel like, well, they were in Spain. Like this is different. Like this is all, you know, uh, the way the way things are, you know, the way everyone is, and the way um, all the little pieces that go together. Well, just just even the down, presence, well, just the presence and influence of the Catholic Church. That that yes, alone yeah. ties the setting to not England, especially at this time when yes. this movie is to yeah. take place. You know, the, the Catholic Church helps so much influence, and again, to do a a werewolf film involving all this stuff with uh, with with really what it gets down to is both. Uh, you know Catholicism and and uh, you know the Ro- the 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 Roma people the gypsies yes that's that's and, and which I understand is a, a word you're not supposed to use but that's the only way I have to say it is so that's the you know that that's what it always comes down to with these and they do that the same stuff with the Roma in the Wolfman but mm-hmm. that was something that was you know it makes sense it's it's prevalent for the for it, it's it's a, a it's a trope of the werewolf story but they use it to good effect here and to have like I said to have the priest come in and you know be be uh, you know investigating all this and all that that alone to me helped sell the setting as Spain better than any of the any of the the location shots did any of the exterior shots which looked like England but just having that bit with the Catholic Church I thought was a was a was a good mm-hmm. way to sell it on the Spanish setting and then the, the the other part was when they 
finally get to the to the the, the, the climax action when they're he's running around on all the sets, you know, which are those great big mm-hmm. sets that he's running around, which look fantastic. I always love a big set like that where the, the all the actors can can actually run around the set a little mm-hmm. bit, and we're not in you know a lot of times in these Hammer films. Just by um, virtue of budget, we're on a, a relatively small set. We're in a house. We're in a castle. We're in a tomb, wherever. And then we go outside, and we have maybe, like in The Mummy, maybe we have an exterior set that's an exterior, or maybe we have an exterior set that's still built on a soundstage. And so it's to a, it, to a, you know, so maybe it's a little bit bigger, but it's still a relatively tame countryside. Here at the end, when, when Leon's running around and all that, when they're chasing him, when he's leaping from rooftops, he's running through piazzas, he's climbing up walls. It's, it's, it's a lot of action, but it's, it's, there's a good setting for it because these sets are so well realized. It looks like a little Spanish villa, you know, so it's very believable that this, that it's, it's big enough for them to run around and have a chase, but it's not so big that's like, well, okay, they're, they're running through Manhattan or something like that. There's just no way it's going to work. But it, I, again, I thought the production design did a good job of, again, selling that location when you don't, you know, you can't afford to go shoot in Spain for a couple of right. weeks or whatever. All, all the movies that we've watched so far for this, I mean, they've made the most of their budget, whether it's just a drawing room mystery or, like you said, if they do actually have, outside action i mean yeah. you, you work with what you have it's you know yeah what would, would it have been nice to see you know uh cushing and, and christopher lee chasing each other in dracula yeah well they basically have a big epic showdown in the drawing room in a foyer but it, right. I mean, it works and mm-hmm. uh i mean with with a character as dynamic as a werewolf then yeah having him run around you know, and like the church set at the end too, where where it finally ends yeah. up. It's 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 really it's really really nice. Um, it, and would it have played as well if it was just in a cave or something? I don't know, but mm. it kind of makes sense that from all the thematic elements that where else could it end but a you know a Catholic church? Church, yeah, exactly. So saying at the end there, too, when he when when uh, when he's shot, right? You know, and and the way he reacts to the being shot, it's not like. You know, it's not, you know, uh, a lot of flopping, whatever. He goes, oh, you can feel like, you know, the pain, like he's an animal, right? It's just like, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like you were shooting and like, you know, like, like we were hunting and he gets shot. The and he, and he kind of like, you know, rise in pain and then he's dead. You know, and it's like he's finally able to have that peace that, you know, there's no other way he was going to get that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, yeah. he had a chance with true love being the way to get out of it, which is something crazy too, right? You know, every other werewolf movie, it doesn't matter. The moon's up, you're turned into a werewolf, right? Here, he's not going to turn into a werewolf. If he, he's found true love, the, 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 you know, her being with him that night, he doesn't turn into a werewolf. You know what I'm saying? It's just such a different take. Um, it's just, I, th- I think it's well realized and I think it's, it's very smart without, without being, like nowadays, it would be too much. Like, hey, wink at the camera, kind of stuff. Like, this is this is smart without being insulting. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, it's like, but it's also it's it's also playing with the tropes without doing it in a knowing way. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Chris, you mentioned that two of your favorite modern werewolf films, of course, two classics: Werewolf, American Werewolf in yeah. London, and uh, The Howling. Uh, yeah. One of the ones that a lot of a later one than that that is a very popular film is Ginger Snaps. And Ginger Snaps is a film that I really enjoy Ginger Snaps, but purposefully plays with the tropes of the werewolf movie 
in order to get a de- to to achieve its effect. So it's it, it's a knowing thing. They're knowingly changing things around. They're knowingly make the making the werewolf female. They're knowingly tying it to you know different you know to to not necessarily tying it to the same tropes that they did previously or turning the tropes on their ear. Yeah, dog with how soldiers is the same way. Dog soldiers is the oh. same way. Yeah. Now dog soldiers to me owes a lot to aliens. And if you're gonna rip something yes. off, rip off something really friggin' good. Yeah. Right. So I'm yeah. all I am on board with, and I know Jay dog soldiers. Is one of I his absolute favorites. So, but I, one one real quick aside about dog soldiers. Um, you know, uh, we've t- I think we've talked about this on on this uh, on on this show before. Is that you know the term Sci-Fi Channel original movie? Some people hear that and they think that that means that the Sci-Fi Channel produced the film, and this is not true. What that means is that the Sci-Fi Channel is may have had a hand in. Uh, commissioning the film to be made, but mostly it means that, hey, this is a film that we have the rights to to show, and we're showing it in this time slot. Okay, many moons ago, in the hallowed days of antiquity, around like 2004, 2005, okay? Okay, uh, Dog Soldiers aired for the, debuted on American television on the Sci-Fi Channel, and it aired as a Sci-Fi original pictures, and people on the internet lost their shit. How could you say this about Dog Soldiers? Just like... All it says is that they had that they that they were showing it and they were they were they had the exclusive rights to show it, guys. No, it means it. Da, da, da. It's like, wow, you're dumb, you know. Just wow, you're dumb. These are the same people that when ECW and SmackDown, uh, when ECW was on Sci-Fi, like, oh yeah, show more wrestling. It's like, yeah, you realize wrestling gets better ratings than any of your shows and costs a lot less. And that that <laughs> that having ECW pull a one point one a one point one on a Tuesday is the highest rated show on your on your network and finances all those uh, cool admittedly cool shows that cost a lot of money that air on friday just saying but anyway um <laughs> the, we, we've been saying that this this movie kind of plays with the tropes and does things differently you know consciously or unconsciously the the the, the most uh the the biggest piece of connective tissue and we've alluded to it already is uh the the finale where um, you know, Leon has gone on a rampage, uh, so to speak, and he's been chased down and he's in the church and, uh, his adoptive father, Don Alfredo comes and, uh, and shoots him. And so that is of course the, the ending of, in a way, the ending of the original Wolfman where Claude Rains mm-hmm. doesn't shoot him. He clubs him with the silver head. Yeah. But the idea that in order to end this curse, the father has to kill his son. And it's again, and, and for a film where we've already we become very attached to Leon and his plight, it's 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 a hard ending, but it's the right ending because really that's you know this uh, Don Alfredo showed him and his mother kindness by bringing him into his house, treating him uh, as his own son, you know, showing him and respect and mercy and love, and no one else did that for him, did that for his mom, you know. And so this is how he continues to show love for Leon as he has to kill him. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy scene. And it, and like Jay, you were saying the way that Leon's death throws are not melodramatic or anything. It's very realistic. And mm-hmm. that, that you know, kind of plays into it that it's, it's a relatively simple mechanical act, but it carries great weight with it. Right. And yeah, it's, it's a hammer movie death too. Yeah. Cause as soon as that, Last heartbeat beats. The end. Credits roll. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, no Hammer does not around. linger. Yeah, the no, Hammer's not a like, hey, let's stick around for a scene. Hammer's like, we did this. We're done. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, like, no, no, nobody gets a Twas Beauty Killed the Beast moment yes, after no, that. It's no, just, it oh, the main guy's said. dead, and the story's over. Yeah. 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 If you're not picking up on the thematic elements of it and getting sucked along for the ride, then no denouement is going to, you know, explain right, it. Right. It, it, it is a mic drop, but it's probably a very polite, gentlemanly mic drop because they are British. Oh, yes. Like, I'll just place this down here, sir. Yes, thank you. Goodbye. Yes, the microphone <laughs> is on the floor. I'm leaving now. <laughs> Do what you will. I mean, I if you... Right. <laughs> Let me get my umbrella, and I shall be on my way. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> I mean, think about it. This is also the first... This is the first Hammer movie we've talked about here without Lee or Cushing. Yep. Um, but still, obviously, having Terrence Fisher as the director. Um, because that was always one of the things people said. They said, well, you know, the Hammer movies, it's always got, you know, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. They're always in it. They're not in every one of them. And you can have a, a really good one. I mean, and... and to me, one of the best. This is one of my favorite werewolf movies of all time, um, especially since I'm a very, very big werewolf fan. Uh, you can have movies that have different actors. I mean, again, Oliver Reed, he's very, very young here. He's not even. I don't think he's even. Is he listed, I think, third in the billing or he's something listed, like that. Even in second, I believe he's second listed behind okay. Clifford. Behind Clifford Evans. And yeah, that, Clifford okay, Evans so, was would have been more well known at this point in, yes. in England. I mean, yeah. Oliver Reed is very early in his career here. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's which not, is it's which not, is yeah. funny because we just had him just had him playing an un, uncredited right. bit player last time yes. in the two faces of Doctor Jekyll. Right. So that's keep, what I'm saying. Stay yeah. tuned for the Oliver Reed podcast coming soon. We'll be covering <laughs> Tommy and Gladiator. <laughs> we got we are shadows and dust. Shadows and dust. Can you, can you hear it, Spaniard? Um, yeah, it's I not, so, because I quilled quickly. I was the best because I won the crowd. <laughs> And it's, it's funny because when you if think of all of Reed, quotes, this is going to run a lot yeah. longer. Well, when you yeah, think, when, got them all. <laughs> when you think of Oliver Reed, you don't think of quiet and understated, and he's very yeah. understated in this. He's not a caricature at all. Like because, like I mentioned, Tommy and Gladiator, he's far <laughs> bolder in his acting choices in in those films. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I mean, whether that's just youth or inexperience or whether that's the direction from, from Fisher, I don't know, but it all, it, I mean, it plays into the horror of what happens when he does finally have his transformation. It's, uh, I mean, if he was kind of swarthy and unlikable before that, then you really wouldn't care, but he's not, right. he's, he's very much the, I'm going to go and make my dad proud and make myself proud and. And, uh, yeah, just can't have nice things. <laughs> well, I also think that what he called, too, the, the, other, the other telling part of it, too, is when they get paid, right? I mean, he, he's just he, he's just longing. Like, he's like, I'm, I don't need to go out. And uh, the, the, the roommate, that, well, not his roommate, the guy he's working with, is like, come on, it's payday. Let's go to the, you know, the brothel. Let's go do this. Like, he doesn't want to go. Yeah. He doesn't want to go drinking. He, he wants, he's like, he's, okay, I don't really want to do this. Like, so at no time does he, I mean, he doesn't do the, um, cause you want him just to, um, you know, just to like, it's hard because you're rooting for him, but you got to know it is not going to end well, but you're kind of like, Oh, come on. You know, like, you know, kind of thing. You're kind of rooting for him to, you know, okay, this could work out, you know, and it's, it's not going to, but it could, you know, so well, it's hard. And, every and, situation he's in is set up for like tension and, and yeah. conflict. It's like, 
the girl he falls in love is, ar- is already engaged. Is, yeah, is already engaged, and her father de- would definitely not want him to be the one that she's into, since she's into somebody who's a. You know, there's a there's a lot of disdain for people with 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 the money and the power and the way they conducted business in those days. You know, it's it, it softens actually as the movie goes along because the beginning is just you know. That guy, you know, the guy's a caricature of the the rich, you know, guy who's just going to humiliate people, everybody for fun, because he can. But then, you know, then her father and his boss is just a sort of skin flinty, you know. He's 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 bargaining his, he's basically, you know, making a, a business transaction with yeah. his daughter and and all this. So it's just every he's he's not. He's does not get a single break in this entire movie. The the only break he gets is he does get to fall in love with a girl, but yeah. that's about you know I I don't I don't even remember if they get to make out in this movie. And he gets to make a friend. You know he makes a friend with yeah. his his roommate, and that's about all that guy gets in his whole life. You know besides you know his dad and adopted yeah. dad and mom. Yeah. Um, I tell you though the uh, the being friends with Leon does not end well for you though. That's a, no, uh, <laughs> because I, I, my my note here: Leon will choke a bitch. So uh. <laughs> I mean, but you know the thing is though too is uh, um, and Luke mentioned this very very early. Like the the werewolf, the makeup in this is iconic. Uh, it's much more iconic, obviously, for those of us who saw this when we were little. Um, to me, this is. Uh, the, the werewolves compared to wolf men, which is a very different kind of thing. It's hard to kind of explain that to people. Mm. They're like, oh, it's all the same. It's like, no, werewolves are the howling dog soldiers, yes. American Wolf in London. Those are werewolves. The they long, turn into wolves. Now. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, or I mean, I mean, I don't even mean like wolfen. Like wolfen, they turn into an actual wolf, you know, kind of thing. But that's like that elongated snout, whatever. Wolf, a wolf man, like Cheney's wolf man, uh, to me, Leon here, um, Henry Hull in uh, uh, Werewolf of London, where they're still a man now with wolf features, but not the right. elongated. They still look enough humanoid. I think we're like an island of lost souls sort of thing. Yes. That... Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Where they're still they're still human, but they have that animalistic, uh, uh, you know, look to them, but they're not completely transforming into that animal i think it's well realized here because um when you look at oliver reed's eyes yeah. which you know is when, when you watch the dvd that's what you see to begin with his eyes are so piercing and like you look at even the scenes where he's like he, he doesn't have to say anything when like when, when the, the moon starts coming up and he's getting real quiet at the uh, brothel and you see how intense his eyes are he was able to emote a lot through his eyes without saying a lot of words in fact Except for when he yells, no, no, no! Like, he doesn't yell in this movie. He's very quiet and very, very subdued in everything he does um, because he's just trying to – he wants to just be normal. He just wants his life. He wants to be – you know, run off with, with her and go, you know, do whatever. But it's – the makeup itself really helps, I think, sell this too because it doesn't – like the wolf, the ears are those long, pointy yeah. ears – it really sells it, and um, 
this is one of the pieces. This is actually the first piece I ever airbrushed was a one for one scale of him snarling the part where he looks over, you know, he looks over his shoulder, his eyes look back. Um, it just hammer. Uh, again, they, they knew they had, they couldn't make the same stuff that was made in the thirties and forties. They had to make it for a new generation, but they also knew that they had to give them, you know, they're, they're not going to just slap something on the screen. Later Hammer movies where things be, things became really like Poverty Row, you see kind of those makeups that aren't as, as effective. But here, just like in The Mummy and just like in uh, um, and, and, and Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula and stuff, the makeup effects are important because they're helping move the story along. They're not dominating the story, but it has to sell you. If he looked like he was wearing a mask, You'd be like, ugh, like it might take you out of the entire story that they spent so long getting you into, you know? So um, I also like the idea of using the gray fur on him because yeah. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember any of the uh, – is there, is, there is there a gray fur in the Howling? Does anyone have gray fur? I don't think so. I, I, know, I, know, I know I know, American Werewolf in London, he's got black and gray fur. But using the gray, the gray look to it, making him look like – that, you know, not just a typical brown or black wolf, you know, kind of thing was also really good, too. It also helps bring out his eyes. Yeah. They definitely play in there, too. Those, his eyes, again, he looks, his eyes are bloodshot as crap coming out of there, too. So. <laughs> yeah, he definitely could use some Visine, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always wonder, did they do that with contact lenses, or Probably did they just, like, rub a cat on his face or something? Back then, they would use the... <laughs> Back then, they would have used the scleral lenses that covered the whole eye that you could only keep in for, like, 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that or they found, like, hey, he's allergic to this. Rub it on him. Exactly. <laughs> His eyes are all puffy, like, I, I want to wear the contacts, guys. Now I can't see. My eyes, the goggles, they do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. Uh, but... You know, this is again, I, and I know you guys, uh, you know, Chris and Chris, you guys are new to this. And Luke and I, of course, saw this uh, when we were younger. And it's one of those movies that um, it's hard because growing up, Luke and I saw a lot of movies that most people didn't see. I don't mean just we, we saw R-rated movies when people weren't watching R-rated movies, but we saw a lot of stuff that no one's ever seen. Like and people would make like, oh, well, that means like this, like uh, it's those, you know, those broad generalizations like, oh, you mean like Frankenstein? It's like, wait, do you mean Frankenstein's monster from like uh, when Boris Karloff played him? Do you yeah. mean when like Glenn Strange played him? Do you mean when like this movie? Do you mean that like what are you talking about? Like, well, there's a lot of different Frankenstein's monsters, you know, or you know, you know, or you know, everyone thinks of Dracula and they're like, oh, Dracula is like blah blah blah, you know, that's from Frozen uh, Transylvania. You're like, well, Dracula could also do the entire movie without talking there was that happened, you know, or whatever. And like, it's just different kind of takes on things. And I think we seeing this younger kind of helped, I don't say shape, but it kind of helps kind of put in context where the werewolf evolution, you know, kind of thing. Cause to go from Cheney and Henry Hull, you know, up until here. And then the thing is, I mean, what are the werewolf? Like, I mean, there were werewolves were not something werewolves were always like second banana. And, um, uh, House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein and things like that. Like, I mean, he's got a part there, but it's not the, you know, he's in there to tell, move the story along. And what happens is after that, I'm trying to think, what are the, where are the werewolf movies from the sixties? That's after this. I can't think of any, yeah, I mean, the boy who cried werewolf. werewolf. 
I that was, was the teenage 50s. werewolves of the fifties. Ah. Yeah, yeah. But a good that's but, yeah, again, boy. The like for the sixties and seventies. Yeah, there's until yeah. until you get to the ones in the eighties when the effects kind of caught up with stuff. And even right. in the 80s, you get movies like Silver Bullet, which were um, lower budget than that also. But they, they could do more with the creature effects. Yeah. Because right. you couldn't just do, again, like you say, they couldn't do the, you know, okay, Lon, we're going to strap you in this chair. Don't move a lot. And we're going to, you know, uh, you know, do the dissolves into the, uh, you know, to, to show your makeup effect or whatever. So I think that was part of it also. I mean, you can, you know, the the, the werewolf always part of the, the big deal for a werewolf or a wolfman type character is the, the change. It's a transformation. Mm-hmm. It's the same as it is with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, except it's it's more severe. You know, Jekyll and Hyde can be played without makeup, as we saw in, you know, really we saw the last time. A, fa- a false beard, and that's about it. You know, here mm-hmm. you really, in a werewolf movie, you really need to show that transformation. So it got to and the point you, where I think they were stripped out by what they could effectively do. Yeah, and if you can't do the transformation well, then you don't show it. You just cut to, mm-hmm. now he's a werewolf, you know? And then, you know, right. do it with shadows. and But, yeah, it, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think, too, is, you know, uh, and, that's, and that's one of the things... Now people kind of take for granted. Because remember, we're talking about movies. I mean, this this movie's 1961, you know, kind of thing. And we're talking about movies that happened 20, you know, 20, yeah. 22 years later, um, having the finally having it. And even that in 1980, we're talking about something that's, you know, 30 plus years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like so, um, nowadays werewolves like oh it's a werewolf. Like I mean, they have Disney Channel has their werewolf movies, and they all do it CGI, and it's no big deal. It's like. That used to mean, you know, like it, it, it just was different, and I think that's one of the things that kind of, as a as a werewolf fan, as someone who, you know, loves wearing, like Luke is a mummy guy, we know that, like Luke likes his mummy movies, kind of thing. If there's a werewolf movie on, I'm probably willing to give it a chance, you know what I'm saying? Because I like werewolves. I've always liked the idea. Um, you know, Lon Chaney was one of my favorite. You know, as the wolf fan is one of my favorites. Um, and then when you got to start, you know, to see where that went to in the in the early '80s and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's but it's I think it's part of the the thing is like a, a vampire. You don't need he can look human. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, Frank Langella played Dracula. Um, he was on he was on Broadway also, right? Wasn't he? He was in he, Dracula on Broadway too. He was also in, in the movie Dracula. Yeah. But um, um, with Lawrence Olivier playing uh, uh, Van Helsing, the you know he, what do you need? You need some fake teeth and cape. He's supposed to look human. You know what I'm saying? He's supposed to look human. And the Frankenstein's monster, well, it's a monster of sewn together parts. And like, as, as you'd see later on in some Frankenstein movie, Frank, like Frankenstein uh, and the monster from hell, which I'm thinking of where he's a, basically an ape, you know, kind of thing. Like it's all the different that you can kind of play with that more. It's hard to play with the werewolf or the mummy or, you know, kind of thing in those ways. So, but, but, but again, ultimately the werewolf's the harder one to do because mm-hmm, of course. he still has to be able to move. Is part of mm-hmm. it, you know. A mummy can shamble along because you got a guy wrapped up in gauze that you buried in, you know, for a couple of days, and you know, yeah. and you very carefully take it back off him at the end of the day, and you put some pancake on his face and some latex, and you're good to go. A werewolf, you know, the guy's got to be able to run and move and jump on somebody and all that, you know, and that that's always part of it. It's one of the reasons, you know, that and I, I mean, the thing here is that there's even more of Leon that is werewolfed out. Then if you think about, again, like Lon Chaney Jr., who always, you know, made sure to wear pants, you know, slacks yeah. and a shirt. And, you know, he just yes. had his hands and his and his uh, and his and his face, whereas here he's got the shirt half torn off, you know, and, and that, that's the classic look with the white shirt all ripped apart and all that. 
So it, it, the the you know again for Hammer's budgets were never all that much, and they do a good job with it. I mean, it really comes off really well from a, a visual effects standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, this was one I I don't think I had seen this in you know at least twenty years, but I'll always remember the 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 makeup, mm-hmm. and it always jumps out as soon as you see it. It's like oh yeah, it's Curse the Werewolf, you know. Well, the good thing about this is they don't really have to focus on the. The special effects aren't the focus, and the writing and acting is strong enough, and the story is strong enough that you know you can carry it with just the Wolfman makeup. You know, you don't need to really need any blood or like mm-hmm. constant action or anything like that. It's it, and it's still and probably it, uh, owing a lot to it being a period piece. It's it holds up. You know, it's. It's not like, oh, this is a quaint movie. It's no, it's an involving, well acted movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, one, uh, well, I will say one thing that, Jay, you made, uh, you referred to is that you can actually find this movie now. Yeah, oh, God. Well, remember, the problem is, and I, I, you and I talked about this, Luke, before. Yeah. Um, I had bought this movie uh, years ago, um, you know, bootleg at a horror convention kind of thing, because I had to have this, because it just was, the VHS copy I had was not great, and basically I got a, basically a DVD version of the VHS copy. Um, but what happened was they put out what was the the eight-movie the eight movie Hammer, um, it was the Hammer Horror Series. It was eight movies, right? And it was on two discs, and the problem was on two discs is that not only do you have two movies per side, you have two movies on the other side of the disc, too. So there's lots of compression issues, and it just didn't work. But, but you know, beggars couldn't be choosers because you got a bunch of movies you were never able to get before all on one uh, thing. So what happened was Luke had mentioned to me, he goes, he had picked it up, the other, uh, I think, at Walmart or something, and it was yep. four discs. I said, four discs? So I immediately had to go get it again on DVD. Now, I own the two-disc one that has all the errors and doesn't work that well. And I actually own what's called the Hammer 8 film collection on Blu-ray, which is like 36 bucks. Um, and it's called the Hammer Horror Series, uh, and it's it's like 1866. That's what it is. It's four DVDs. So what's on there is, of course, the Curse of Frankenstein, Curse of the Werewolf, right? Brides of Dracula, which is the technically the the, the it's the Dracula movie without Dracula. Uh, <laughs> it's the prince in it, but it's a really good movie. The shame is that Christopher Lee didn't want to do it, so they had to kind of move things around. Um, Fan of the Opera, which is uh, another classic, the the one from I think '62. Um, Kiss of the Vampire, right? Yep. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kiss of the Vampire is okay; it's nothing spectacular. Uh, Paranotic, it's fine. Um, pa- well, then, Paranoic uh, is not a Paranoic is not a horror movie. Right. Hammer at this right. time was also doing kind of their thriller or crime movies. Well, yes. if it was German, if they were. German, we'd call them a creamy movie. Uh, so yeah, Paranoia falls into that genre. Mm-hmm. I think it's on here because it had the rights to it. So yes, um, but you also have the uh, you have Night Creatures, um, which is Night Creatures. Is that the one? It kind of reminds me of like uh, the Scarecrow Romney Marsh. Like they're all like it's all the it's the guy's a uh, he's a pirate and he crashes and it's 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 definitely not a horror movie but it's but it's again it's hammers it's it's peter it's peter cushing um the movie called nightmares i think that's the one where the girl goes crazy and trying to kill people and of course uh the rounding it out would be evil of frankenstein um it is not the best frankenstein movie they ever made but it's not a bad frankenstein movie and it's definitely different that's the one with the uh the the um closest to boris karloff looking 
yeah. uh, or, or the, the, the squared off head. And actually, it's funny because everyone, it, it looks more like Glenn Strange. When people think of the Frankenstein monster and they talk about the square head and stuff, they're actually describing Glenn Strange's makeup more than they're describing Karloff's because Glenn Strange wore it. They really blocked off the head more, you know what I'm saying? But, mm-hmm. yeah. but those are readily available. And, you know, the great part is, um, you know, you're thinking like, well, I mean, spend that much money. I mean, I, I own both the Blu-ray and the DVD and I own the original DVD set. Um, because that's what kind of glutton for punishment I am. Um, but they're beautiful. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, uh, you know, they look great. I mean, they're all cleaned up and, uh, you know, it's, I mean, Haley has seen all these movies. She loves, Haley loves the mummy. Haley loves hammers. The mummy. She has her own copy of it. Um, but she likes cursed the werewolf, which is funny because there's not a lot going on, but it's, you know, to her, she's kind of following the story, but she really likes when he turns into the werewolf because she loves that look. And it's kind of, you know, to her, that's what a werewolf looks like kind of thing. Um, but she enjoyed this movie a lot. We watched this together. And she's like, oh, I remember this movie. And, yeah, the rape scene's hard. But, like, she kind of doesn't know what that is yet. Like, she kind of is like, like, oh, he's doing bad things to her? I'm like, yes, bad things. Okay. And that's all she leaves it at. Eventually she'll be like, are you joking? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> but, but to her, you know, like these movies, there's nothing here. It's not like there's like, there's no nudity as much as Luke said, you know, uh, but you know, like her, her said, they're, they're on full display as much as yes. they could get away with. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's but, mild compared to say the end of the man show with the women in yes. bikinis on uh, trampolines, yes. but well, the same idea when, when you late, get to later hammer movies yeah. where the, where everyone's breasts are fully exposed. Uh, Twins of Evils, uh, Vampire Circus, The Vampire Lovers, uh, Countess Dracula. I mean, it's a bam, bam, bam. I mean, there's just, I mean, Ingrid Pitt's like almost buck naked in a lot of these things, and so are they, the, the 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 twins from Twins of Evil. They were the they were the ones in Playboy, and like all these different things. You're like, yeah. this seems restrained. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying for those things, but you know, just a, well, just this, a great this movie. Is, this is typical you know. Hammer, you know. Mm-hmm. hammer buxom babe you know kind of thing so mm-hmm. but yeah i mean th- this is this is one again it doesn't get as much play as the others because it doesn't have lee and cushing in it but it's really really well done and it, mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it it belongs with the other ones because it's very it, it has a similar approach in taking kind of a literate um uh, you know angle on it rather than just making a, a monster movie it's really trying to look at what what that means you know what what the human side of that monster is and we get a lot of that here with leon uh, it does again. The nature of a werewolf movie means you can really look into that. Yeah. So, anybody have any further thoughts on the curse of the werewolf? I give it four hairy palms up. <laughs> <laughs> well, after that ringing endorsement, if you're not going to go click on the Amazon.com link at TwoTrueFreaks.com and go and order that um, eight movie Hammer Horror series, I don't know. What what else can uh, persuade you to do that? So, um, the damn link. Now, yeah, <laughs> ching. The uh, now I will say we we've mentioned, you know, the film that will answer the the question that always plagues listeners at the end of one of our podcasts. What are you covering next time? What what are you covering? And I must know. I must know. You don't understand. You, well, you don't understand. It's but, Teen uh, Wolf starring Michael J. Fox. Teen no, Wolf. No, we're not Michael J. We're doing Teen Wolf no. two starring Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman with, uh, with, uh, with amateur boxing. Was that yes. in that one? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not doing Teen Wolf 2. Although maybe later. Stay tuned.
But uh, no. <laughs> to continue our our um, coverage of the Hammer Horror series, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. We're taking look at 1962's The Phantom of the Opera, starring uh, Herbert Lom and Michael Goo, and directed by, big surprise, Terrence Fisher. So uh, that one also available <laughs> in that uh, Hammer uh, Hammer Horror series eight film collection. So check that one out. Um, th- this one, this one, I remember getting more play than Curse of the Werewolf, but again, not having Lee and Cushing is usually not mentioned in there. You know, the oh, these Hammer fi- these Hammer films are the good ones, you know, type of conversation. So, um, I hope invite everybody to, to please, you know, uh, send feedback. Uh, Freak Vault, all one word, at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. Did you have you seen the Curse of the Werewolf? Are you going to check it out? Do you wish we'd stop covering all these friggin' British movies? Well, tough, you know, because we're not going to stop. Uh, we're not, won't stop till we get enough. But uh, that's right. Please, please send feedback. Love to hear what everybody thinks. And uh, that's funny because Michael what, Jackson turned into a werewolf in the thriller video. That he did. Well, and, you know, and then okay. it was like Landis a swerve at the end, right? John yeah. Landis yeah. did direct it. That He's, thriller video. He, I mean, that is some pretty boss stuff, right there, yes, man. It is. But the thing is, it's it's always Whatever been. Whatever happened to uh, Ray? That's what I want to know. Whatever happened to Ray? <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, well, the thing is that the, the the he's he's more cat-like and stuff in that, which is why it, what they, if they were trying to do and make it look different. But again, even in that makeup, you get some references to obviously other makeups and stuff. I mean, you know, kind of thing. Like, there's just his skin moving and stuff, but his ears are huge, very much like the ears here. Like you know, what I'm saying, like it's definitely, um, you know, John Landis. You know, I mean, he. What you may feel personally about the man or not, he does love his uh, his references and his you know things. So, but that's another show for another day. <laughs> If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Socket to me? (laughs) 